text for this morning's sermon is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Luke 4, 1 through 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that uh, you would do a work now in our hearts, in my heart, and everyone who's here. God, we know that ultimately the changes we need need to be done by your Spirit deep down inside us so that our desires actually change and turn from sin to loving you. So God, I pray that you would use your word to help us see your goodness and draw us to Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're on our second week on the topic of uh, temptation. We're working through the book of Luke. We're to the point where Jesus has just spent uh, 40 days, 40 nights in the wilderness fasting. And uh, at the end of it, uh, Satan saw an opportune time to tempt Christ. This morning, we're going to look at the first temptation. Uh, in a sense, it is a category of temptation, what I would call a craving temptation. Uh, here's where our appetites inside us. It's, it's the type of temptation that attaches to our fleshly urges and appetites, our cravings. Uh, you might think of it as the category to be tempted towards gluttony, towards sexual immorality, uh, addictions. This is kind of the category of temptation. We're going to look at what Christ did in this moment. We're going to see what we can learn from it. And ultimately, my prayer is that we'll be drawn to see God's goodness towards us, even in our failure uh, in temptation as, as we often fall. I was uh, just looking through some Yahoo headlines, reading the news earlier this week, and there was a football player, a really good football player, who uh, had a video posted to Instagram on social media uh, of himself uh, sitting in bed. He's got a Pizza, or he's got a whole pizza on his lap. It looks like he has marijuana in his hand. <clears throat> and there's an Instagram model in bed with him next to him who isn't his wife. And there's cocaine, it looks like, a white powdery substance between them. And all week long, I've been thinking about craving temptations, and I'm like, here in one picture, it's all, <laughs> it seems like it's all there. Someone trying 
to get pleasure and happiness out of life through food, drugs, sexual immorality. And all of us can be tempted to go after happiness and pleasure in that way. Last week, we looked at the general uh, principles that uh, are questions we want to ask ourselves at the moment of temptation. Who am I? They're real easy to remember. Who am I? What's your identity? If you're a Christian, you need to remember who you are, that you're a child of God, and God will only do good to you. Even in your wilderness, even in your struggle, even in your pain, God's working for your good. Because if you know that God is working for your good, then you're not going to think that you need to go after something else which any particular temptation is offering to you. If you know who you are and that God has given you all things in Christ then you don't have to chase whatever, whatever it is that's being offered you. The second question is, who is God? Because when we fall in temptation, it's guaranteed that whether we know it or not, we're thinking God is not being good to us. Because if God was good to us, he wouldn't withhold this thing that we want. It's just like when the serpent, when Satan came to Eve and said, did God really say you can't eat from the trees of the garden? Is God good to you? Can, did, he, did he really say you can't eat from this tree? You won't surely die. He just knows that you're going to gain wisdom and be like him. God's holding out on you. And then the third thing, we need to ask ourselves, we need, we need to ask who we are, who God is, and then whose timing. Because temptation always offers a quicker, more visible satisfaction to your craving than waiting on God and waiting for His blessing. So that's what we looked at last week. We're going to keep these questions in mind the next three weeks as we consider these uh, different types of temptation. But let's look at the one that came to Jesus first. The devil said to him, this is Luke 4, verse 3, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, which is helpful because as Jesus is quoting this, he's pointing us to his mindset, to what he's thinking about. You see, temptation catches us off guard. It comes upon us quickly and we can fall before we're hardly thinking anything. It can come on us so quick, but Jesus knew exactly what was happening in the wilderness. He's seen this before. He knew the scriptures. He knew Satan's lies in the garden, and he knew how Israel fell in 
the wilderness as they wandered for, for 40 years. Jesus knew that this was his wilderness, and he knew what victory would look like. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, and let's see if we can understand what Jesus understood. Deuteronomy 8, we'll start right at the beginning, verse 1. And what Deuteronomy is, is after Israel was... In the wilderness for 40 years, they failed to enter the promised land because they doubted God's word. They doubted he was good, that he was really leading them to a good place. So their punishment was 40 years to wander in the wilderness till that generation died off. Then God was going to let the children of that generation and Caleb enter. And at the end of the 40 years right before Israel's about ready to enter the promised land. Moses is an old man. Israel has given him gray hairs as they were not kind to him as their leader. Moses is giving this one last, it's like an impassioned sermon reminding them not to repeat the mistakes they made in the wilderness as they forgot who they were who God was, and they weren't willing to wait for God's blessing. So in Deuteronomy 8, here's what Moses says. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you should be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in the land and possess, or go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you. So your 40 years in the wilderness was God being good to you because he was humbling you and testing you to know what was in your heart. It wasn't that God didn't know. It's that Israel didn't know what was in their hearts whether you would keep the commandments or not. And then verse 3, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, for this reason. Here's the reason why God did this. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That's what Jesus quoted. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The lesson Israel needed to learn is that they will find blessing, rest, happiness, pleasure, not by following their cravings, but by following the word of the Lord. God let them see for 40 years where their cravings got them. So that's a question you need to ask yourself. Is it a wise thing to follow your cravings, to follow your appetites? Have you ever heard a parent of a teenager say, here's what you do. Whatever you feel like doing, whatever urge you have, whatever craving you have, just go follow it. It's a great idea. It's going to lead you to a happy place. 
You're going to have pleasure, joy, and life at the end of that road. In a sense, we know it, but we don't know it because what seems more real to us in the moment of temptation often is our craving rather than what God's word says. God wants Israel to know in the, through the wilderness wanderings that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is a statement of identity. You're not your cravings. You're not a, your identity doesn't come from what you lust for, from what you hunger for. Thank goodness. A human being is more than cravings that go and get satisfied. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What it means to be human is not only that we have an appetite for food, but we're created to be led by a father who speaks and guides us. And his words are a better guide than our cravings. This is why I'm so passionate about biblical counseling, because Jesus tells us how to live in this world by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how you live. Adam and Eve were created to listen to their creator, to their father, Jesus knew exactly the situation he was in. He knew who he was. This episode comes right after his baptism when the father said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. You're my son and I'm your father. Here's what Jesus knew. Any good Jew would know, Israelite would know, that if you had a father, you had food. If you didn't have a father, you might not have food. But you're going to have bread if you have a father. That's what one of the main things in the ancient world, that's one of the main facts of having a father. There's provision for you. But he knew the situation he was in. I just want to take you on a little bit of a journey to help us understand what Israel actually said as they grumbled in the wilderness that God has got them in so much trouble. And the worst part about being a preacher is I got to fit this thing down to a little time frame. And I would love to show you every time Israel thought that God wasn't good and grumbled against him and then showed you what they did and then what the result was. But I'm going to show you a few. Three days, now imagine this, for, for 430 years, Israel's been in Egypt under a harsh slavery. They're crying out, God, have mercy on us. And so God sends Moses. Through Moses, God works 
10 plagues against Pharaoh so that he finally releases them from their slavery. Then God miraculously saves them, leads them through the middle of the Red Sea. You think at the other end, it would be like, okay, we have a father and he's good and he just saved us. But three days after they're on the other side of the Red Sea, grumbling because they don't see where they're going to get water. They find water and it's bitter water and they begin to grumble. God tells Moses, throw that log in there and the water became sweet and God provided for them. You think, well, surely now after the 10 plagues, after being rescued out of Egypt after going through the Red Sea, and now God has proven in the wilderness he's going to provide good water. Surely now they'll trust that God is good and want to follow his word. But 30 days later, as the food supply has run out and they don't see where the food is going to come from, here's what we read in Exodus 16.2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, now listen to this, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. 30 days after the Red Sea, they're actually thinking if we only would have died. If you want to know how how strong our cravings can be, temptation can be, the Israelites' fantasy in their mind is, oh, if only we could be back in slavery. If only we could be dead with full stomachs. At least they got to die having their craving satisfied. This is absolutely crazy as we read it, except this is what we fall to when we fall into temptation. Russell Moore wrote an excellent book called Tempted and Tried. And in that book, here's what he says to this scripture here. They envied the floating corpses of the Egyptians they had seen at sea. At least those mortified corpses had full stomachs. They'd rather be slaves than sons. So the Father is providing for them, in the, taking them out of slavery, but they would rather go back into slavery. They just saw the result of of not living for God, the, the floating dead bodies, and they're actually wishing themselves back there. Our cravings have a suicidal reality to them that we're willing to die just to be satisfied in a moment. And then Moses goes up, God's going to give them the Ten Commandments. He goes up for 40 days and 40 nights. This is too long. We can't wait for the Lord. Bring your rings, bring your jewelry. Let's make a golden calf. 
they make a golden calf and they say, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. You got to be kidding me. But this is what they're doing. And after, here's what they say. They, They built an altar and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered bird offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, drink, eat and drink and rose up to play. Let's make our golden calf. That's our God. Now let's fulfill our cravings. Eat, drink, and rise up to play means eat, drink, and have a lot of sex at the altar of Baal because that's what they were doing. That's where they learned that philosophy. But this is what Israel was doing. It's no wonder Paul picks this up as an illustration when he's pleading with the New Testament church to flee from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.6, he says, now these things took place as examples for us. He's looking back at these events that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He quotes it. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. So God continually, as Israel grumbled, people died. Plagues came upon them. Three days after this, they're in the wilderness and they're complaining about the bread that God has supplied for them. They're sick of it. God has provided food for them, the supernatural bread that shows up every morning. God gave it to them. He said, just take as much as you need for the day. Take all that you need. I'll provide enough for you. And then I'll give it to you the next morning. What do they do the first day? They, they keep like four days worth because you can't trust God. He's not going to provide. He's not going to be good. And in the morning, the extra turns into worms. And God's showing him these pictures. When you don't trust me, it ends up being maggots and worms. I will take care of you. And then on the Sabbath, they're not supposed to go collect food and everything. So he says on the sixth day, store some overnight for the next day. And it doesn't turn to worms. And they ought to say, oh, maybe God is actually going to take care of us in the wilderness. But in Numbers 11, you just got to hear this complaining. Verse 1, here's what Israel says. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tiberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. 
We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Oh, God's not good. We were better off in slavery. We were better off back in Egypt. And then in verse 18, say to the people, consecrate yourselves. God says to Moses, tomorrow, for you shall eat meat. God says, you want meat? I'll give you meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. And you shall not just eat one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? And when they got their quail, when God sent a wind, and brought them their quail in piles. They gathered it, and finally they were going to have their feast. Finally they were going to get to eat. And verse 33 tells us, while the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place is called Kibroth Havitah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. Picture after picture after picture. You follow your craving, and death is at the end of the road. Death. Then, you know, Moses sends Caleb and the spies into Canaan. It's finally time for... Israel to enter the good land flowing with milk and honey that God promised them. They're barely a year and a half into their journey from the Red Sea. It's time to go in. And most of you probably know how the story goes. They come back and say, they're too big. The land's a great land, but they're too big. And we're all going to die. Let's find a leader that'll take us back to Egypt. And for that, God says, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years because you wouldn't believe that I was your father and good to you. He's teaching them. He's humbling them, trying to help them see that man doesn't live by just going and getting your fleshly craving, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then, back to Deuteronomy, verse 4, Moses points out, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell for these 40 years. You know, Russell Moore thinks that they maybe didn't realize this. They're complaining about the food and, and, and being in the wilderness and whether God's really going to bring them into the land and whether God's tricking them to bring them out here and kill them. Moses reminds them, I don't, I don't know if you realized it, but your sandals didn't wear out these 40 years. And your clothing, you didn't have to make clothing. The clothing you came in here with, 
What clothing lasts for 40 years? And isn't it true that in our grumbling, in our complaining, and in our craving for something more, something good, we failed to see the provision of God, His kindness to us in so many different ways. And then he says in verse 5, Know then that, know then in your heart that, a ma- that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. What a, what a principle. If you're a son or daughter of God, if you're a true believer, God will be kind enough to you to let you sit at rock bottom with all your cravings that you grasped, all your appetite grabbing. And he will show you that there is no life there. That's the kindness of God. Not letting us chase idolatry and be destroyed. And then verse 6 says, So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and fearing Him. When you funnel the commands of God down, they could, what, what do they come down to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Trust Him. Believe that He's a Father that will care for you. And then verse 7 This answers the question, who is God, I think. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and figs and pomegranates, a land of olives, olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. You see, there's the waiting part. When they're in the wilderness, they're not in the promised land. Moses knows that. But God is bringing you somewhere. And he's bringing you to a good place. And when you get there, there's going to be a feast. And when you get there, there's going to be rest. And when you get there, it's not going to end. It's going to be eternal. While we're on this earth, we have to, we have to, in the moment of temptation, remember that with Christ, God gives us all things. Romans 8, we inherit the earth. We're sons and daughters of God. We rest in his presence. We feast at his table. And then he says in verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, and land, <clears throat> a land in which you will lack nothing, a land in whose stones are iron, and out of those hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Who is God? God is a God that if you're trusting Christ, he You may be in the wilderness. Your whole life on this earth might feel like, and in one sense it is, a time of looking forward to all the blessing that is waiting us in Christ. But Jesus was able 
to not turn that bread into a stone because he knew who he was. He knew he had a father. He didn't go after that temptation and say, I got to do it. The devil's basically saying, your father, if you are the son of God, he's saying, doesn't look like you have a father. You better get to work and make this bread into stone. You better go get it yourself. Don't wait on the father. But here we see that God is good. I'll give you a New Testament way of saying the same thing. Philippians 4.11, here's what Paul says. And these are verses I know you've heard before because football players quote them all the time, a lot of times out of context, but I, I think you'll really feel it this morning. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, Philippians 4.11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Ah, he learned how to handle the wilderness. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You've heard that verse before. And what it means is, is doesn't mean you're going to win the football game. Doesn't mean he's going to help you become this great CEO in your business. But God will get you through the wilderness. He'll provide and there will be goodness at the other end. He'll strengthen you not to fall. And then in, in verse 19, here's what he says. And here's what your challenge is going to be really with this sermon are you going to live by every word that comes from the mouth of God and actually believe his word? Because here's what God's word says for the believer. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I want you to think about that. Do you really believe even in the midst of suffering and trial and hunger, that God will supply everything you need. You don't have to frantically, if, you're, if anxiety often weighs you down, you don't know what to do. You don't have to frantically go searching on the internet, try to figure it out, try to do it on your own. You can rest in God. God is a good Father I don't have time to show you this, but I'll give you the places you can go look. Deuteronomy 10, 17, Lamentations 5 are examples of when Israel is suffering. They're saying things like, we have become orphans and fatherless. Our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink. Israel... To not have water and food is to not have a father. But God continually shows us that he's a good father. In fact, in Hebrews 12, we read about the discipline of the son. The sign that you're a son of God, a daughter of God, is that you're under the discipline of God often. Let me just read this passage to you. I want you to listen with all these categories we've already been through. Consider him, 
Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, in your temptation, don't wimp out. You haven't died yet. Christ suffered so much for you. Don't wimp out. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? You see, the writer of Hebrews knows that if they don't remember their sons, they're going to fall to the temptation. They're going to go after it. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there who, whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirit and, and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us, now hear this, for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen, right? But later it yields the peaceful fruit. Later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make your path straight for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for, holy without, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now get this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. The way you fail to obtain the grace of God is when a root of bitterness springs up, causes you to see God as not loving, not good. If, it, if you see God that way, you won't receive his son. You, you, you won't see him as good. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The illustration he gives is, don't be like Esau. Esau's hunger was like, oh, if I can have a bowl of soup, I'll sell my birthright. He did it. And then he, he couldn't find repentance in his heart. You see, Esau had a craving problem. He was both sexually immoral and he sold his birthright for a meal. But don't be like him. See, God is good. Trust in God's goodness. Esau had blessing waiting for him that he sold for a bowl of soup. This is going to drive me crazy because we're not going to have time to get through the rest of this let me bring it to conclusion by 
uh, pointing this out to you. Trying to see where I want to pick up here. Will you be guided by your cravings or by the Word of God? Here's what happens when you follow the Word of God. Psalm 16. I'm going to give you a couple highlights. Here's what the psalmist knew. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The psalmist David knows where his good is. Verse 4, the sorrow of those who... The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply. If I make something else good, sorrows are going to rise. Here's how the psalm ends. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's what God's word says. You want fullness of joy? Every human being on the earth is chasing joy. If you want fullness of joy, it's in the presence of God. You want pleasure? At the right hand of God are never-ending pleasures forevermore. Be guided by God's Word, which reminds us that we're more than just flesh. Why did God give us an appetite? Why did God give us a sex drive? Why did God give us a craving for happiness in entertainment why is this built in not so that we would say oh this is all we are man lives by bread alone no all those are pointing us to true bread the pharisees came to jesus and they said to him moses he gave us bread in the wilderness you're claiming to be god's son you're claiming to be a prophet what are you going to give us this is my summary of the, uh, of the conversation. Jesus said, no, my father gave you bread in the wilderness. This is John 6. And you ate, or, and your fathers ate, and they died. Seems like he's almost dissing his father. He's saying, my father gave you bread in the wilderness, manna. You ate, and you died. But he says, I am true bread that has come down from heaven. If you eat of me, you'll never die. You won't thirst anymore. You won't hunger anymore. Your sex drive is pointing you to your greater husband, greater intimacy with God. That's what it's meant to point towards, a special relationship. Obviously not a sexual relationship with God, but one that points to an intimate relationship. Your hunger is meant to point you to true bread that comes from heaven, which is Christ. I want to tell you about one last grumbling that Israel had in the wilderness. As they're grumbling about their circumstances, God sent serpents into Israel and they began biting everybody and they were dying. And God told Moses, here's what you do. Make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, and anyone who looks at it will be healed. 
In John 3, Jesus points to the fact that that serpent is actually pointing to him. And he says, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And those who look to him for healing, for hope, will be healed. Because here's the thing. I can show you principles to fight temptation, but at the end of the day, you and I are going to fall to temptation. None of us are going to do it perfect. We may grow in holiness, but we'll still fail. The point of Luke 4 is that Jesus was the only man who faced down temptation and never sinned. And the gospel is this. If you look to Jesus, his perfect life of never falling to temptation, never sinning once, is given to you by grace. It's put in your account. It has nothing to do with your good works or your big success story with fighting temptation. Salvation comes. Israel was healed. Imagine you're dying. You've been bitten by snakes. And all you have to do is look up and see the serpent. If you look up and see Christ and say, I'm going to hell on my life. I need a substitute. If you look up and see your substitute and you cling to him, you become a son or daughter of God. Yes, God will discipline you. Yes, God will teach you to follow his word. But I just got to read what Isaiah tells us is coming. Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He'll swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he'll take away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It'll be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're a God that doesn't save good people, but you came to seek and save the lost. You came to save sinners. You came to save those who fail in our temptations often. Father, thank you for sending us Christ who defeated the temptations in the wilderness, defeated the devil, defeated death, defeated sin. And Lord, we thank you of the promise that even Christ is going to serve us a feast at your banquet table. What amazing mercy. We just confess you are a good God. Lord, I pray that everyone here would cling to him by faith and be a son or daughter of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.